0: Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Barrier, and I am here with my man, Danny Zatarain. Zatar, I told you I was going to mess it up. No, you did it. That's it. You got it. Zatarain. Zatar, like the rice. Right. Okay. That's what I I think I called, I think I mispronounced that because I think it, I think I thought that was called Zataran. And as I'm looking, it is spelled the same way, right?
1: It is spelled the same, and I'm going to be honest with you. Some people say it one way, some people say it another, really. In in all honesty, in Spanish, it's a satarain, and I don't expect anybody to get that. Zatarain, zatarain, zatarain's fine. Danny Z, that
0: works. Danny Z, I like it. So Danny, look, I cannot wait to get into this conversation. If you want, first, tell everybody a little bit about what you do right now and who you work for and all the cool stuff that you're doing.
1: Absolutely. Well, first off, Corey, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's it's really nice to be here. I know uh, your time is super valuable, and uh, I really appreciate you inviting me into the show and taking an interest. And uh, so, I my name is Danny, and I work for Service MVP. I am. I can say I'm a little biased, right? But I definitely feel like I work for one of the best training and consulting companies in the country. I work for Uncle Joe or Sarah. And, uh, and he's just, he's been a mentor of mine for a while. And uh, he's one of my favorite people and one of my best friends. And uh, I just love working with the team. Everybody in the team is amazing. I know you recently met Shreya. Our entire team is full of people whose jobs are their dream jobs. And I can definitely say I share that sentiment with the rest of the teams. Yeah, I, I think I'm the only uh, service MVP, I guess, Uncle Joe certified event training coach for the last 20 years. My boss, Uncle Joe has been doing this for 20 years and doing total immersion events, which is what I do. So three different seminars that we do around the country. So Total Immersion, which is for sales technicians and teach them the communication and sales process there and how to handle objections. And we have a performance coach class, which is for managers. And we have a CSR and dispatch class for the office staff. So that's what I do. I teach those three seminars around the country and I get to meet a ton of people. Last year, I graduated about 600 individual technicians and office staff and managers. It was amazing. I loved every bit of it. So yeah, that's a little bit about what I do.
0: Dude, that's super dope. All right, let I me mean just say that. But let me ask you this: All right, so you' are pretty young, dude, right? Joe is he's an older guy. Right? Joe's been doing this same position that you that you just mentioned for the last twenty plus years. How did you step into this situation? Like, how do you pry away that kind of? Here's the thing: because when you, ha- I have my own sales process, and when it's yours, it's your baby, right? It's really hard right. to say. I'm going to let somebody else run with the thing that I've been doing perfectly in my eyes for the last 20 years. How did you manage that? Do you? Yeah. Oh, man.
1: uh, I'm not gonna lie. There was there was some uh, there was some back and forth for sure. I was a lot of Uncle Joe's really good with uh, with training, and he one of the things that he does best, I think, is building a team. He has built an amazing team and put people in positions uh, according to like their gifts, right, and what they're passionate about. And I think that's key that he really puts people in the right position. But I'm not gonna lie, he did tell me one time, "You will take these events out of, but you will pry them out of my cold dead hands," is what he said to me when I first (laughs) came on board. And I was like, "Oh man!" So I just resolved for the first year and a half. I just resolved to just uh, be enough service to Uncle Joe and uh, doing as best as I could to to demonstrate not just my commitment to, to the team, but my commitment to keeping the process as true to what he built as possible. I think that's something I'm very passionate about. So I think that's what he can tell and he knows that I stick with the actual values and, uh, and I try to live them as best as I can. So I think that made him feel a little bit better. And uh, but we still we talk on a regular basis. He's part of my seminar still as a guest in certain certain areas in our seminars. So he's not like completely out of it. Right. I don't think he will ever let go of the baby altogether.
0: So but he pipes in like via Zoom right? does part of it. Is that what you mean? He does.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he that does. And he does sense. like a live Q&A and stuff like that to stay in touch with with the seminars and the process and everything.
0: I think that makes total sense. In fact, I think that's pretty genius that he does it that way because. Yeah. That gives them still that one-on-one per se with him, which is originally what most people are buying. Obviously, we've changed the reason they're buying now because people are still showing up when you're doing these the seminars or the total immersion weeks. Yeah, I think it's almost like a hybrid model a little bit. Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely a hybrid model. And to touch on that, yeah, you're absolutely right. This transition is different because it's Uncle Joe and Uncle Joe is kind of a big deal. And uh, so people come to see him and stuff like that. And I'm not going to lie, if I'm being completely honest with you, I still to this day, it's intimidating to try to fill shoes such as Uncle Joe's. And then I just I can't pretend that I ever will in any way, shape, or form. But what I can do is uh, I can put his legacy and his program and make sure I stay as true to it as possible and then uh, really make it to where we can reach more people than Uncle Joe could reach just on his own if he continued to do seminars by himself. Because he, now he's developing a new class, right? The call-by-call management, Profit X, which now he gets to do because I'm doing total immersion. So it's definitely a win-win because people get
0: more of Uncle Joe anyways. I think I just realized something. So it's almost like and you, you can tell your people the next class you go to, right? So you know how they're nervous when they get there, right? Because they know they're going to have oh, a yeah. role player. Maybe they don't know yet, but whenever oh, yeah. they figure that part out, they get nervous, right? Sure. So it's almost like you're almost, you almost have that same feeling that they have doing this in front of Joe. Oh, right? 100%. It's it's the craziest
1: thing. It's the craziest thing that I'll, I'm in my element and I'm in my zone and I'm talking and I see uncle Joe walk into the room and just get back to listen. And I immediately get red in the face and get a little hesitant because that's my boss. You know what I mean? So I tell the guys whenever they come to class, yeah, it's going to be, this is going to be a different class, right? You're going to have this, there's this huge mountain to climb because at the end of the day on Friday, you're going to have to sell your top option and go through a benchmark sheet with a specific script. And you're going to have to do it by memory in front of the entire group, and you're gonna do it uh, on video, right? Cause we're gonna record this uh, in order for you to have it and your boss to have it and your team, right? So it's absolutely nerve wracking, but I tell them it's nerve wracking for me too. Because you guys are giving me something that you can never make back or you can never make more of, which is their time. And, uh, and they give that to me for five days, right? To me and the service MVP team and Uncle Joe. So I get nervous too. I get nervous being in front of them, being in front of my boss. I think it's growth for everyone. I think that's why I love what I do because it's just all around growth, not just for myself, but for the group and it's just our team as a whole. So it's just really cool stuff, man.
0: That's awesome. All right. So we've done like 20 minute promo for Uncle Joe. So let's shift away from that for a second. It <laughs> was not of the intention, I He's going to love this. <laughs> he is going to love this. We're looking out for you, Uncle Joe. You really are. Uncle Joe's the best. So I want you to, you and I got the, the opportunity yesterday to spend a few hours together. We had a couple of cigars. had a really, really great conversation and I got to learn a few things about you. And so I would love for you just to share a little bit about, or as much as you want about, your journey, let's just say from Where are you from? Let's start there. That's a good place to start,
1: some Southern, but I'm way more Southern than you think I am. So I'm actually from Mexico, down South. I came here when I was 11 and uh, I came to the U.S. I didn't know any English. I came here to the, I was in the sixth grade, sixth, seventh grade, something like that. I remember my first day of school though. I don't think I got to share this, but this is a good story. My first day of school was actually 9-11 in 2001. Wow. And I remember walking into class and I had no idea what I was doing. So I had a couple of friends, one of them, Gustavo Mar, who I still, we're still friends. who just had drinks a few weeks ago, but he walked me to class, right? To translate for me, he had a great community over there in Virginia. And, uh, and I remember walking into the class, right? And sitting down and they turned on the TVs and all this stuff was going on, but I didn't understand anything that was happening. So I just, I was just doodling my notebook and stuff like that. And around 30, 11 o'clock, you know how they dismissed schools early that day. So they, they dismissed school. We got on the bus and I, I left the school and I was thinking to myself, okay, I can do school in the U.S. It's like half. It's like way shorter. You just go, you don't watch a little TV and then you go home, you know what I mean? And then of course I got home and my dad was like, oh, there was a terrorist attack. And I was like, what's a terrorist? And that's when I learned that, that side of it. And, and it was a huge day in history and it was a huge day in history for me as well when I started school. And uh, that's one of the things. Right. And I think that just moving to this country, I know there's a lot of immigrants in our industry and stuff like that. And I think they can relate with how hard it is to go to another country, not knowing the language and stuff. One of the things that was, I think, the hardest, which I'm really hesitant to share sometimes, I'll be honest with you, Corey. And sometimes I make it part of my seminars a little bit, but I'm very hesitant to do that because I would hate for any of my story to 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 become something that's like a wall for somebody to listen to the other principles I have to share about Uncle Joe or what we do. But I think it's really important because it's one of the things that gives me the most confidence in my seminar, because it's like, there's no chance that you can sit in my class and tell me you can't do something. You can do anything you set your mind to, and it all has to do with how you respond to circumstances or events that you can't control in your life. And so one of those events was in that, and I didn't know this right until I was maybe like 16, when in school we were doing driver's ed, right? And uh, I'm sure you're remember when you got your license. And, and so the thing is, they asked us for a social security card and said, oh, you can bring that to school so we can sign you up for driver's head. And, uh, and so I went home and asked my mom and I was like, hey, mom, can I, can I get my social security card? I need it because I'm going to learn how to drive. I was so excited. And she was like, actually, you don't have one. And I was like, okay, where, like, where do I get one? And she said, uh, you really can't, right? And doing some research and stuff like that, I found myself in a situation where I was brought to this country without documents and without the proper documentation, and there was really nothing I could do about it. And even to this day, there are certain things you can do about that, right? Most of them include you having to go back to your country and be there for years before you could ever reapply for any sort of legal residency or anything like that, or you can marry somebody. Right? That you can marry somebody that's a US citizen and they could petition you and stuff like that. Of course, I was, even though some of my friends and family suggested I do, that was definitely not something I was looking to do. I don't believe that's what marriage is for, but, or that I would be honored in any way if I made decisions that went completely against what things are for, right? So anyway, so that was it, right? But that meant that a whole lot of things for me. One of them was, of course, think about the social, right? Think about not having one of those. I
0: just wanted to ask. All right. So let me back up really quickly. So I want to know if you're okay sharing, because I don't know if you hit on this. How I'm from North Carolina, right? I don't know how you get over across the border without papers, because anytime I've ever gone across the border, I've had to show papers, right? And so yeah. I'd love for you to talk about that if you can, and then. I believe you're at age, you're at age 16 at this point. So you've gone from age 11. I'm not even sure how you got into a school because you have zero identification. You technically don't exist. Is that how you, is that how you felt at the time?
1: Well, yeah, of course, 100%. Nothing, nothing, even growing up, right? Nothing's ever really yours. There's nothing that has your name on it. There's nothing
0: that. Why do you say that? Why do you say well, that so specifically?
1: I guess once I got older, right, I'm coming across the border. And just to answer your question, there's a lot of different ways that people come across the border. As For me, because I was underage and it was before the 9-11 attacks, the immigration at the border was very different. So I was able to just come through, I think, with how you know, they pay people to get you across the border. Yeah, you my, just did it My that parents, way. yeah, my parents just paid sense. somebody and they put me in a car and I came across the border. That makes um, sense. I was just curious. So, but it was like, yeah, I didn't walk like that. There's a lot of people that literally walk days through the desert just to be able to to get across, a ton of people died or died doing that, and you're tempting for a better life like that. So thankfully, I didn't have that kind of experience. My mom did. My mom actually did walk across the desert, but uh, but anyways. So it was. Uh, I guess as you get older, at eleven, it doesn't really matter. In public schools, you can a kid can go to public school no matter what, no matter what kind of status they have. So that wasn't a really big problem as long as I could show a birth certificate or something. But as you get older, there's nothing. You can't have an identification, right? Because the first thing, like, go to the DMV when you go get your license or you get an ID. It was the first thing they ask you for?
0: Proof of who yeah. you are. Yeah.
1: Right. Let me see your social, right? Yeah. What's your social security number? And think about every other area of your life, right? Let's say let you go get an apartment. What's the first thing? They-
0: well, ask for a driver's license. Before you step in license. the apartment.
1: Yeah, let me see it. If you want to look at it, let me see it. But you can't get that, right? Because you need a social for that. But then even if you did have that, imagine I somehow did get a driver's license or an ID or something. What's the next, next thing they do for an apartment? They check your credit. Of course. And then you need oh my a gosh. So your security card. But get this, right? So let's say you just go to Verizon like or AT&T and try to get a cell phone line. What's the first thing yeah. they ask you for? Driver's license. An ID and then a social, right? Cred- to check credit. your credit. Yeah. What's, the, yeah. what's anything. You go buy a car. You try to open a bank account. Think about that. When's the last time you opened a bank account? What do they ask you for?
0: I don't think there's anything that we do.
1: Nothing that they
0: don't ask for that information. Nothing We're at all. And
1: I. <laughs> You know, what? I knew you'd make a joke of that one, but I say for sure, I've never had the chance to vote. So I try to stay out of politics because it's a very touching subject and I don't have the chance to vote. So that's why I stay out of it. But uh, but I'll be honest with you. I think one of, the, one of the myths that I love to debunk just because I had a little bit of a platform is that if you need a social to do all of that kind of stuff, right? People think that undocumented immigrants sometimes are able to take advantage of the system in a way when in reality, right, I've paid all of my taxes forever and always, right? Because they don't give you a social, but you get a, an I-10, which is an individual individual. individual taxpayer identification number that way no matter how you're working you pay taxes no matter what and it's and it's like you go ask for help right at a social security office or for financial help or anything like that what's the first thing they ask you for
0: proof. Yeah. It's
1: so so it's like, you can't do that, right? So my mom was never able to get any sort of you know, financial help or anything like that. Uh, we pay our taxes, the way, at least I do, right? I can't speak for everybody, but I can definitely speak for myself. And uh, so anyways, that's that. So that, I guess that was one of the biggest hurdles, right? Like I would never imagine if you had told me 10 years ago that I was going to be traveling all over the country, getting on a plane <laughs> right, and teaching total immersion all across the country in different seminars, I would have said you were out of your mind because I couldn't even get a car. I couldn't even get a cell phone, you know what I mean? So...
0: I had to feel like I can't even imagine like how that felt because also part of this too is you mentioned this earlier and I just want to circle back to it really quick. You mentioned that, you know, I actually can't remember exactly what you mentioned, but basically you were alluded to, we don't ever know when we're going to lose these things. right? Definitely, I think yeah. you're heading towards being deported. So I want you to hit on that for a minute of yeah. your mindset with, yeah, your mindset and then just kind of walk us through that whole thing sure. if you don't mind.
1: And I guess to answer your question, let me tell you a little bit about it, right? Went through school and I did as best as I could, right? Never you never really had a car or anything like that. And I actually graduated a year early because uh, I, I school wasn't like my favorite thing. I was good at it, but I was just, let me just get it over with. I couldn't go to college because my, my parents couldn't afford it and I had no financial aid or anything like that, even though I had great grades. But I did have some great connections and people that were really supportive. So the Rotary Club actually gave me a full ride to get to go to a community college. And, uh, and I was going for my radio. Radiology associates, right? And so I wanted to be a radiologist. I wanted to go into healthcare because I loved helping people. And uh, But it, I was about one semester in when my dad got deported and I was 17 at that time. And so back to that question, right? It uprooted our lives altogether, right? Dad wasn't there. He was making about 75% of the income in our family. There was six of us, right? My parents and then four of us. I'm the oldest of four and my siblings were all younger. So at this time, I'm 17. My dad gets deported. I'm in college. My mom, I was making 25% of the income in the household. I have a 12-year-old and an 11-year-old and a 4-year-old two sisters and a brother. And so my mom couldn't support every one of them. So I ended up, I wrote to the Rotary Club and said, thank you, and that I couldn't use the the, the scholarship that they'd given me. And I went to work and uh, started working and uh, back home supported the family until, until my mom was on her feet and was able to care for them. And they were older and they were working for themselves. So all of that to say is, yeah, there's this crazy uncertainty when you don't have the proper documentation, right? That, um, What do you invest in something? Do you buy a property that you can't put your name on that somebody else can take away from you? Do you like, what do you do with what you have? Or do you just put it away in case you have to go and start over and back in your home country? Which is hard to say, because even though I love my culture and I love Mexico and I love my people, I don't know Mexico. I wouldn't even know how to get a driver's license over there. You see what I'm saying? So yeah, the, the idea of that is just that uncertainty and it makes it really easy for somebody to use that. I did for very many years to use that kind of uncertainty as a, as an excuse or as a crutch to not take the steps to be successful, to say, well, there's just too much in my way. I'm just going to settle for something mediocre or even worse. My life is hopeless. Let me just throw it all away. So yeah, that's the story.
0: That's wild. Do you mind me asking why your dad was deported? Is it just like his number came up? How does that, I don't even know how that happens.
1: No, so he actually had a, he had a, he was arrested and uh, okay. from there he was deported. Yeah. And he okay. was arrested on, it was like a domestic. Uh, I know I shared some of this with you. Uh, we I went through a lot of domestic violence and use in, in, in my childhood and my upbringing. So it was definitely related to that when he got deported.
0: So it's was a good reason.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it wasn't a, it was an actual by accident, It right? wasn't like, it, no, it wasn't like they <laughs> just kicked them up, which in all honesty, I, uh, that's the kind of stuff that happens. And That's why I've made it, I've made it a really important thing in my life to, to really walk a straight path and try as best as I can to, you know, to be a good citizen here and, and help people I'll build my community instead of breaking it down. I think you've got
0: such different and interesting perspective that I don't know if most people really have. And I say that because you've seen it at the wor- at its worst, right? You've seen everything just about at its worst. I have. That's pretty fascinating that you've been able to overcome that mental hurdle. People have far more than what you started out with, right? And still can't get out of bed, can't do anything for whatever reason. And I'm not saying I'm not knocking those people. I'm just saying that, like, it, just shows that it just shows your fortitude, your perseverance, which you know it's impressive so thank you i appreciate that Corey. yeah absolutely all right so you when did you actually let's just call it become a, a citizen how did that pro- process happen and what yeah how did that how did that happen
1: yeah Oh, that's a really good question because i am here right and i, <laughs> I haven't been <laughs> deported yet
0: Yeah, just, and we're talking uh, on this podcast <laughs> so i'm guessing that ain't gonna happen
1: No, not yet. Anyways, not anytime soon, hopefully. No, but so about, uh, I was, I think I was like 25. So it actually, it was only a few years ago, maybe like seven or eight years ago when, uh, and, and I'm still not a US citizen, just to be clear. I'm actually, I have this thing that I like to call, it's almost like a Netflix subscription to the US. Okay. Yeah, right? where I just have to. They're like, "Oh, you're doing good. Okay, let me just give you another two years of a permit to stay in this country. Or as long as you keep paying your taxes, as long as you keep working and doing the right thing and not get in trouble. Can't even like. I have this thing called DACA. I'm a DACA recipient. So DACA stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. So that's for that's that's this thing that Obama signed into place that said that anybody that was brought here to this country without documents, without their knowledge, or with them being underage, should, if their record shows they're a good citizen should be able to work legally and take part in society and not be and not be invisible the way we were. And so that was, I've been really grateful for that because it's really opened up so many opportunities for me. So it's, and that's still something that I do on a, every two years. Every two years, I hire my lawyer and I say, hey, can you do my renewal? And there's a couple thousand dollars associated as, worth, as far as fees and lawyer fees goes to do this. I, uh, yeah, I try not don't, I, I don't to get pulled over, right? I can't have any more than a couple of traffic violations before they're like, oh, you were caught speeding two times. It's okay, three times. You're going back to Mexico, so it's important.
0: All right, so that's how it is now, right? But it hasn't that's always how it is been now.
1: now. It hasn't always right? been that. Always- just happened, that just happened like seven years ago. Before then, I well, was still
0: how. Okay, but wasn't there a time where you were traveling back and forth <laughs> on a more recent basis to keep your. Citizenship, Maybe not. No,
1: not traveling back and forth. I just, every time I, for example, every time I renew, right, uh, I have to submit the application, get the lawyer and stuff like that. And then I have to go to a USCIS office, either Raleigh or wherever I'm at that time, and go have my fingerprints taken again, my pictures. They take a picture of my eyes, make sure I'm still the same person. And uh, before they give me a work permit for another two years. But yeah, but this just happened, like I said, about seven years ago or so. Before that, I was still trying to using loopholes to be able to just support myself and get around.
0: That's wild, dude. Yeah, I was thinking maybe you had to go back to Mexico for that whole renewal thing. I don't know why I was thinking that. I don't know. I don't know. No, I, I think that's
1: that. you know that's something we discussed because that is a step, right? That a lot of people have to take. Like they have to go back to Mexico to have an interview there and then be able to come back
0: and be. So that was it. yeah. All right. So explain that. Okay. So that's what it was. Can you explain what that process was? And I know you didn't necessarily go through that, but I thought it was an interesting. Yeah. I thought it was interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. So when people apply and they came to this country uh, un- without documents, before they could ever be documented, they have to go back and have an interview process in Mexico. And in that process in Mexico, it's actually very uncertain, because there is a chance it comes down to the one USCIS agent that determines, yeah, you're going to be an okay citizen, you can go back, or I'm sorry, we're not giving you anything, you're staying here. So that's definitely, uh, that's definitely part of the process when the time comes or for people that are eligible to do that. Most people are not eligible to do that. Most people don't even have that option at all. Wow, that's just like if you get married. If you get married and then they're a U.S. citizen, and then they petition you, and then you got to go back and interview. And even when you do marry someone, right, they go through these interviews to make sure that the marriage is legit, and you have to show pictures and proof of the relationship and all of that good stuff.
0: I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah, it's a big. Deal. I did.
0: I did wonder about how they. I did wonder because I'm like, well, I was here with no papers. I, I just married somebody. I think that. But it's not that easy is what you're saying.
1: No. No, of course not, because it's not meant to be that way. You know what I mean? That's not what marriage sure. was
0: about. Definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah. But it, yeah, I totally get that. All right. So that's super cool. One more ironic thing that I think that I have to share is that we grew up like 45 minutes from each other. That, literally. Uh, man,
1: not even. You go down the mountain on 89 and you're right there. Like I, I grew up in, in <laughs> Galax, Virginia. You were right there in Mount Airy. Isn't
0: that wild? It, it, it's wild. And the way we met was through Shreya. For and, sure, yeah, yeah, and it, it's pretty wild, in the fact that you live in Greensboro, which is why we met up yesterday.
1: Yeah, um, another forty-five minutes. Right,
0: exactly. That's like, exactly
1: right. Stay, we've stayed right there near each other. We didn't even know.
0: Had no earthly idea. All right, let's get into let's get into some of the stuff that you do with your trainings. Let's talk about who is the best person to come to your total immersion training. Who's the person that you have the most success with? This episode of the Successful Life podcast is brought to you by Housecall Pro. Whether you're looking to streamline your operations, reduce paperwork, or boost revenue, Housecall Pro is your all-in-one business solution. Transform your business today with essential tools and support designed to drive efficiency and deliver exceptional customer service. To learn more, click the link in the show notes.
1: Oh man, that's a hard question because to be honest with you, uh, what I do at uh, total immersion training is uh, it's, a, it's it's not your regular sales training, right? It's not like you come and it's like a lecture and you just sit there. This is a week-long training, right? Day one literally consists of us just digging into like, the kinds of beliefs that we have that are holding us back, right? That yeah. uh, kind of beliefs that, that, that don't allow us to provide the best service, that don't allow us to show options beyond what we think we could purchase ourselves right i uh, think that so we spend a lot of time with that so it's a very different kind of training really it's valuable for anybody that wants to become a person of more value themselves for their companies for their families and for themselves right and uh, so really anybody like that anybody that's in a position where you have to sell something and mind you when it comes to business, everything is sales, right? When you want to convince somebody to go your direction, to take on a new initiative, to complete a training, change their thinking, it's all a sell, right? So we have to learn how to communicate at a higher level in order to be able to sell our ideas and sell our initiatives and sell ourselves.
0: Exactly. All right. Let's just clarify really quick. When we are saying, when Danny's saying sales in this scenario, he's not suggesting that He's that you come to this training, they're gonna teach you some slime ball way of sailing. Right. What he's, what he's saying is that we he teaches you how to be a good human being and to do the right thing and good things happen to those people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess in the nutshell, yes, absolutely. You're 100% correct on that. It's uh, we teach uh, Uncle Joe's process and this is what I love about it, right? It's all science-based and it's backed up by and you're an NLP certified. So, it's all about communication and it's all about knowing how to say the right things. But uh, but the really cool part about it is that yeah, a lot of the principles that we learn are just principles. They're just rules that of how the mind works, right? There's no rules as to how you use them. So that's what we teach. That's what we talk about the values behind that because, and I tell them this on day one, right? You can take everything that I'm going to teach you and go use it and do manipulative sales and use coercion and use control to close people and stuff like that. But that's not what this is for. So one thing that we focus on is called pure motive values or pure motive service, right? Where the pure motive is what's all about the customer right? It's all about what's best for them and their families, not greedy motive. I believe that there's only two motives. You're either doing pure motive or you're doing greedy motive. There's really nothing in between. So it's like we really dig into why we do the sales the way that we do, why it's important to show all of the options from the most premium to the most economic, regardless of what you think the customer is going to buy, regardless of what you think you would purchase in their place and take those principles and put them into action. So yeah, that's one of the things that attracted me to Service MVP in this program altogether is the fact that like, you can go to sleep at night and lay your head on your pillow and feel good about what you did for the day and still get amazing results for you and your family. Makes sense.
0: Hundred percent. It absolutely makes sense. But I think to a lot of people, it probably doesn't make sense, just because I think a lot of people believe that you have to be manipulative, you have to be slimy, or you have to be doing something that is under par, so to speak. Yeah, and that's just not how it is. I think you probably can run into some people that are like that. Of course, there are slimy car salespeople. There's probably slim. There's slimy people in every industry. And so I think I'd like for people just to remove their, I I battle with this. I talk about this a lot. Just remove the idea of what sales is from your kind of, from what you've been programmed to think of and listen to what, how you just described it. And that's really what we're talking about. It's just pure in the intention, right? The intention really is what when you say pure motive, it's the intention going into the house. If you are going in there with the intention on serving the customer and Whatever that looks like, whether that's a $55,000 job or whether it's a $55 job, it shouldn't make any difference. But what you do need to do is make sure that you do give the customer every option, that, or maybe not every option available, but every option that you feel like is, I guess, customize, every option. Customized
1: customize and relevant, which is one sure. of your motive values, but that, that it's customized and relevant to them.
0: That's right. Because if it's not relevant, then you're just talking in the wind. Right? How do you become greedy, relevant? It's,
1: it's greedy motive. If it's right. not relevant to them, then you're putting it on the option sheet for yourself.
0: So you can sell and, more. That's right. And if it's not relevant to them, then you must have not paid attention. To-
1: exactly. Which at the end of the day is not pure mode of service. It's greedy mode of service. That's right. It's all about it's all about you when we have to shift it and it be all about them. So, yeah, you nailed it.
0: It's a hard shift for people, though. It's hard it for people to stop thinking about themselves.
1: It is 100%. 100% we're selfish by nature right? That is our human nature is to be selfish. And that is it's a hard and uncomfortable thing to battle. And that's why it takes us five days during total immersion to do that, right? It's like day one, we focus on that mindset shift. Day two, we focus on how do we provide options, right? How do we build them? What do they need to look like? How do we connect with the customer in order to build those customized options? Day three, we focus on objection handling. Let's talk about objections. Let's talk about the things that we hear from customers and how we're going to handle that. Day four, we talk about lead turnovers and we shift the focus from demand calls where something is wrong and broken to opportunity and estimate calls and maintenance calls. And how does yes. this process work with those calls? Because there's a, it's a completely different type of sale, right? And then day five, it's graduation day. That's when everybody's shitting themselves right. <laughs> because they're about to present in a whole, whole group. That's my favorite part, totally.
0: So day four, let's talk about day four for a second.
1: Yeah, sure.
0: Yeah, dive into that for just one more second. What do you...
1: Yeah, go ahead. Oh, man, think about this, right? We talk about like at the beginning of a, uh, we talk at the beginning of the interaction, right? Talk to the customer about, hey, what's, what's what's, the reason for our call today? And it's like, oh, my AC is not working. All right, so just to be sure, what are we trying to accomplish? Uh, I need to get this thing fixed. All right, let's take a look. right? And on an estimate call is completely different, right? We're just getting prices.
0: But why is this important? Why is it important to know the difference? It's in these three different calls. Why is it important to the owner?
1: To the owner, because you have to provide the best service in order for you to be able to provide the best service. Now, I'm now I'm talking about the homeowner at this
0: point, right? Means, I'm talking about the they, business owner. Sorry. Sorry. I should owner. have been well, more clear. Yeah. From his so, perspective, why is this important?
1: Because it's a completely different interaction. And if you're using the same techniques with a completely different interaction, chances are how successful are we going to be?
0: The cost of the call, right? If it's just or a we maintenance We did. We call, were talking
1: about that yesterday. Yeah, yeah.
0: So yeah, that's, yeah, dive into that part, right? It's a well, difference in money.
1: Yeah, think about it, right? If it's, a, if it's a maintenance call, or let's just say it's an estimate call, right? And uh, somebody, it's a marketed lead. And first you have to take into account, well, how much does it take us to have someone out to the home? right? I know you and I discussed an average of $250, not even including the marketed leads, right? And how much that costs us to acquire, which can be upwards of 500. Even some roofing leads are even more expensive than that and in that particular trade. So you're talking, you send someone out to a call to two or three calls in a day that are marketed leads, and you could be down over 2000 $3,000, 000, $0 calls right? And, uh, and the problem is that we can't hold accountability to somebody until we have provided them with the tools to be able to perform at that level. So we need to, we have to stop the hemorrhaging when it comes to those kinds of calls, right?
0: hundred percent. And it's important to know too, that like, maybe you've got an emergency call that a tech, that maybe your best technician, maybe your best technician is available or whatever the case may be. You're going to probably want him on that Bigger job, you're probably not going to want him running a maintenance call. That's also part of it, right? It's knowing 100% being able to put the right people in the right places for the best service and for the best revenue for the company.
1: One hundred percent. And that's something we specifically covered during our performance coach class and also the CSR dispatch class, because that's a dispatcher's job, right? To make sure that they're sending the right tech on the right call. So that's something that I'm actually about to start a CSR dispatch class tomorrow that is digital with with some attendees around the country. So I'm really excited about that. We talk specifically about that. So
0: don't you think it's important? It's important for everybody to know, too, you know, I think the numbers are important. I think it's important, and different owners feel differently about this. But when your people know, when your employees know that, let's just call on a $10,000 call, when your employees understand that you're not making $5,000 on that call, and they understand that your margins are way smaller than 50%, right? It gives them a better idea of when they're making choices on the clock, I think they make better choices. If you've got a good good company culture, they for sure make better choices.
1: 100%. And let me tell you this, the best thing that happens whenever you do keep your employees engaged and have a transparency in the culture with how much it costs to do business, the most important thing that happens is the confidence that your technicians will have in being able to present prices and know exactly how much it takes to do great service. That is invaluable. Right? Because then you have somebody that is unapologetic about how much it takes to do great service in front of the customer. And that's the kind of credibility that people want to do business with. When somebody can look at Corey and say, hey, Corey, sure, I agree with you. This is definitely a higher investment, but this is how much it takes for us to do great service. Now we can stop if you want to, and that can help you find a more budget company to do this. Or on the other hand, if you want to focus on the quality and reliability and the safety and health of your system and your family, then we can move forward, but you have to know it's going to be a higher investment. So what should we do? When you're able to communicate something like that, it's like your credibility is through the roof. And that can't happen unless you have transparency with your business, unless you have those onboarding conversations with your techs, unless they know how much it takes to do great service and that they feel unapologetic about it. So
0: That's right. And you said something earlier that we both totally agree on, which is if you're thinking about if you're thinking about how much that customer can spend on whatever job that you're there for, and you start questioning whether or not they can spend eighteen thousand dollars on a new HVAC system or whatever it is, right? You got to ask yourself. You have zero basis, right, to be able to try to project out what that customer has. You have no way of knowing if that customer has the money to pay you or not. So if you don't give them that more expensive option, you're just shooting yourself in the foot for people that will pay that money.
1: Yeah, 100%. And let me put it to you in a pure motive service perspective, right? Because yes, it's easy to say that. It's easy to understand that we're shooting ourselves in the foot. But the reality is that most technicians don't offer those high-end options because they feel uncomfortable showing them because they wouldn't purchase them. And the thing is that, Sure, we can tell the text, hey, you're shooting yourself in the foot, right? If you don't show those options. And that's, gonna, that's not gonna take that feeling away. No. But you know what will take the feeling away? is the fact that it's pure motive service. The fact that it's bad service. To imagine this, right? Imagine going to a restaurant, right? And uh, go to a nice restaurant and they see you come in. Maybe you come in on some jeans or a polo, just kind of like I am, right? I don't look fancy at all. And they give me a menu, but they withhold the, the expensive drink menu, right? And then you ask for it, right? And it's like, oh, I think you could afford any items from that menu. So I just didn't bring it. Right. How would you feel about that?
0: Not so hot.
1: That's what I'm saying. And it's like, we do this on a regular basis. We profile people and withhold better options because we don't think they could afford them because we're in debt and we're uncomfortable with a $500 payment because we grew up uh, trying to save the most, right? Because we grew up not talking about money and feeling uncomfortable with finances because our family's in debt and my mom would never pay for that. So I'm not going to show them that option, but it's bad service not to. That's what takes the feeling away. It's when a technician understands that withholding options because of your personal beliefs, it's actually bad service for the customer. That's what changes it. Makes sense? Because we're going to show a premium option, and I don't expect you to buy that, right? I know this pro- this option is probably too premium and it has too much service, but don't worry because I have other options probably more like you expected. So either way, just choose what's best for you and your family. See, when you teach somebody how to do that and how to believe in that, then they are free to show options and to show a full range of options and provide the best service. That's the pure motive behind it. See what I'm saying? hundred percent. More so that more so than not shooting yourself in the foot because it's just that's the crazy part, is when you do pure motive, ironically, when you stop focusing on the money and focus on the behaviors that actually get you to make more money, it's you focus on pure motive service and the money just follows.
0: Yeah. You're no, you're a hundred percent right. Because if you go in thinking about the money, it's often you are going to fail, right? i that's just all there is to it. Because you're thinking about yourself. And when you're thinking about yourself, there's zero chance you could serve other people.
1: Right? Exactly. Exactly. That's one thing. You one know, thing we're really big on. Service is about the other person. Yeah,
0: it is. 100%. One thing I think that I do want you to actually talk about for a moment, you mentioned how Joe hires people and how everybody has a certain role. They're all in the right seats. But you were telling me the other day that Joe also makes sure he, he only hires certain people. And I can't remember exactly what you said, but it was impressive how he goes about doing it. And maybe, I, do you remember what I was talking about?
1: I believe so. One thing that I said that I find the most impressive with our team at Service MVP is that I can't think of anybody. And I could be wrong, but from as long as I've been with the team, I don't think anyone has actually applied for a position at Service MVP. Absolutely. Everyone was handpicked to have the positions. And while people within the organization have shifted positions, everybody's in the place that they're supposed to be. I think, and somebody that is really that I have to definitely give a huge shout out to is Julie Sarah. Julie, Uncle Joe is amazing, right? But uh, I can say from experience that it, it makes the entire difference to have somebody that's supportive, that is smart, that is strong, that is confident, that is moving things forward. And Julie definitely does that for us. So definitely, yeah, she's a huge part of the organization. And I think they've both done an amazing job in putting all of us where we need to be and not just that but giving us the tools that we need to be successful at what we do so that's really unique about service mvp and i just love it i love that about us i love that we that everyone if you ask anyone it's our dream jobs
0: it seems like it really seems like joe lives what you instill in all the companies that you work with which some people might think of course that's the case but i don't know that's the case with with everybody so it's really refreshing to know that looks like from the top down, like it's what it seems to be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We try
1: to be a product of our product. We try to do the things that we teach to do. I think that's most important, too, because for me, I'm really big on values. Right. I know you and I talked about that a little bit and, and uh, they make all of the difference. Right. So having people in the organization stick to the values that, that we teach. It is it's definitely refreshing as an employee and I think uh, for our clients as well. Yeah, they've done an awesome job. Uncle Joe and Julie have built something that I don't think anybody could really match in the industry as far as communication training goes. And I'm just really lucky to be part of that.
0: hundred percent, dude. I think it's really fascinating. I think uh, I think what you've done is just really cool, Danny. I think it's just super impressive that you have been able to come in and, and take over this position. So where now we mentioned the total immersion, but I don't think we really dug into the other two. Is it two trainings or three? Is it two?
1: It's three trainings altogether. Yeah. So total immersion, that's where sales technicians and sales pros, the management team, of course, I recommend everybody take that one because then you learn what the sales process looks like and how to communicate at a higher level. The other one is performance coach, which is pretty much the same concept, but in a performance coach level or at a management level. How do you have those conversations with your team? How do you get your team sold on a sales process? How do you hold them accountable later on? What kind of processes need to be put in place so that the team can not only on board graduate, but also continue to perform and improve their performance? Those tough conversations that you have to have, how do you have them, right? How do you have them in a way that the employee doesn't feel like you're just telling them what to do and giving them a goal, but they feel like it's their goal and they want to reach it and the accountability is on them. So that's what we go over during performance coach. So how do you elevate? Because what we're asking of our employees when they go to training is that they elevate their level of service, To our customers, the problem is we rarely ever elevate our level of service to our team. Right. That's what Performance Coach Class is all about. How do you elevate yourself as a leader for your team in order so that you can instill and motivate them to reach their highest performance? Because that's what it's all about, right? It's being a leader. It's all about leading yourself first.
0: So, what do you think? I understand everything you said. So, at what point does the leader say, "I got to make a change"? Right. I'm not growing with my team? Maybe I'm growing away from my team. Is there a certain point that you've noticed, maybe a common point in that business owner's journey of when that happens? I'm just curious.
1: I think for business, for different business owners, it happens at a different time, but it's all mostly related to performance, right? To the performance of their team. And it's mostly when they are seeking out, how do I change the performance of my team? It, usually after they do some digging around, it always comes around to it being their performance <laughs> as a leader, right? So I think that can happen at any point in time. But at, what I love the most is seeing when leaders like that really get in touch with that part of leadership, where it's like, okay, let me do it first. Let me go first. Because then you see that team culture be built, right? You see that culture emerge where the guys are excited and they're rooting for the leader and they're rooting for the vision. I think that's really unique. And I think that's something that every company would benefit from. Love That's probably if I had to pick a class, which I couldn't because I love them all, but if I had to pick one to do forever and ever, that's the one I would do that one. Because the entire culture can change on a dime just from a leadership change.
0: Yeah. And And, without that
1: doesn't always mean a new leader. That just means a new you.
0: Yeah. And I'm so glad you said that because I do believe a lot of times people think that if you're coming in and you're consulting or doing training, that you are going to shake up the organization. And that's never our intention. Not my intention. It's not your intention. But I think it's a common misconception. What's going to happen? And nobody likes change. I'm glad glad you pointed that out.
1: Yeah. Change is most important. And of course, nobody likes change. Nobody likes change because change is uncomfortable. And it lets people know that puts people in a place where they have to consider that what they've done in the past has not been right. And they've been doing it for this long. And that's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to accept something like that. Right. But it's like, that's the only hurdle that between you and where you really want to be. So it's just swallow that pill and just move it forward and just come to, to be vulnerable with your team and say, guys, I Like I've been doing you guys a disservice because I don't know what you guys are even supposed to be training on. But the good thing is that stops today because today I'm jumping in on the training and I'm doing it myself. We're going to do this thing together. And there's
0: just a freedom to that. Yeah, but you're but your training. Let's be clear. If you're a business owner listening to this, you need to go to this training before you have that conversation with your team, because that's what this training is about, is how to effectively communicate what you're trying to do and what the end goal is. In a way that the team buys in, you don't get a bunch of pushback and everybody's happy. It's.
1: Yeah, yeah. You will get that pushback, right? And it's knowing how to handle that pushback, knowing when that pushback is, is beneficial to the team and when that pushback has to be removed from the team, right? When to coach and when to stop coaching. It's like those, it's like, I always hear business owners say, how do I know when to fire somebody? How do I know when I've done enough? How do I know when I've, and those are the kind of questions that we answer during performance coach. That's why it's such a valuable class. So it's good stuff. Sure. We take them through, we'll take you through the 10 stages of accountability, how to elevate each stage and what that conversation sounds like at every stage. And we get to role play it, right? Cause that's most important with us. I think that's one of the biggest differences between my training and other trainings that I've done in the past is that we're not going to leave until we know that not only did you learn the content, but that you can actually apply it real life. So we're actually going to do it right now. You know what I mean? That's uh, that's the coolest
0: part. A hundred percent, dude. You can't, I, in my opinion, you can't have good sales training if you don't have role playing. It's just, no. you have to have it. You have to have the practice. You got to get it in the yeah. reps. It's like anything else. If you're going to be good at anything,
1: you got to practice it. Yeah, you do. You do. Absolutely. We like to, I talk about, uh, I, I hate using the word role player when I'm at the seminars because there's just a negative connotation, kind of like, like sales tech, right? Or like a right. like a you mm-hmm. sales consultant or something. Like that. It's just a bad rep. So I like to call it skills practice. It's like, there you go. New skills and now we're going to practice them because that's what you do when you learn a new skill. There's nothing wrong with it, right? There's no negative connotation. It's just you learn a new skills and now we're going to practice it. So it's skill I like practice.
0: That.
1: It's uh, verbal packaging. And guess what?
0: That gets the team to buy in. That was a perfect example of exactly what you teach these business owners. It's just I wouldn't say play yeah. on words, but it's just like you. I don't know what you just called it. What did you just call it?
1: Like verbal packaging. We have a lesson. That, we have a lesson around that verbal packaging is something Uncle Joe. That's what Uncle Joe named it. Right? And it's a, and not just that, right? Not just the verbal packaging part of it, but is, what I love the most about what I teach is I tell everyone when they come in, it's like sure you're going to use all this stuff for sales, right? But the key part is that. All of these principles that you learn to create more value for sales, if you were to translate them into your personal life, you would become a person of more value yourself. So I always challenge everyone that comes to our classes, whether performance coach or CSR or anything else. And I'll give you a quick example if that's okay. Sure. One of the things that we really focus on is changing the way that we communicate, right, to build more value. So that means removing words that diminish the value of what you say and sticking to words that create more value. So for example, just a quick example of something we focus on is not using the words, I can't. I can't, right. when you can't do something, oh, can you send someone out today? Oh, I can't do that, we can send someone out tomorrow. Or hey, can, can you take a look at the duck work? Oh, I can't do that right now. Or can you, anything that the customer is asking us to do, right? Think about it, uh, we do, instead of saying I can't, use the word, what I can do is, right? So if you're on the phone, it's like, oh, can you send someone out today? Hey, what I can do is schedule you for first thing tomorrow morning, and I'll put you on standby today in case we have a cancellation. What do you think about that? Just skip the I can't altogether, but translate that into your personal life, right? You're at home in the evening, you're sending some emails and stuff like that, and your son comes up and it's like, hey, dad, can you play with me? What do we say? Oh, I can't right now. I'm busy with work. Yep. And then what happens to your son? So, the, oh, all their little hearts like man, I guess he can't. And then he goes away, right? Maybe later, right? I can't right now, but maybe later is what we may say. So it's like now with this new program, we communicate at a higher level, right? We take into account pure motive, right? Because if they're coming to ask me to play, that means that they want my attention, right? And I'm just going to go with something with as little value as I can't, right? So instead of saying, I can't, you say, you know what, son, what I can do is finish this email and then you and I will play for 30 minutes. How does that sound? Now, what's the, what like emotional, like how do they leave now with that interaction, right? Are you a more valuable parent now than you were before? Right now they're excited because you're just going to finish an email and then you're going to play for 30 minutes. And we could, it's like we try to communicate the same thing, but we communicate it in a way that doesn't provide that value. So that's the best thing about what I teach is that Uncle Joe has taught me that these are not values just to create more sales or make more money, but they're values that you can translate into your personal life to create more value for yourself as a human being, for your family as a parent, as a husband, for your team, right, as a leader, as a technician, for your company, as a coworker, and they just make you a better person altogether. So that's why I get really excited about the stuff I do.
0: It's almost like an accountability hack, too, because if you say, let's just take the kid example. I can't do it right now. I'm busy with work. I can't. I'm busy. But if you say if you do it like you said now, because if you do it the first way, there is zero accountability. It's just a no. no, Mm -hmm. And you're probably not going to come back to it. But if you say it the way you said it, not only did you not hurt the kid's feelings, but you also held yourself accountable for making sure you do that thing later. I love
1: that. 100%. 100%. And you can, and I can teach you those words over and over, right? But that's why we focus on pure motive values first. Because first, you got to be aware that your son is coming to ask you because they want <laughs> you to be a parent right now. You see what I'm saying? Until so you right. can acknowledge that, you almost can't make yourself say things like that. They're not a parent. So, yeah. Yeah. But, anyways.
0: And the fact of the matter is, if you're not coming from a pure motive heart, you don't, you don't want to say these things because it's going right. to be incongruent. People are going right. to be able to tell you're full of crap. Yeah.
1: Oh, 100 percent. Everybody can tell. It's yeah. Like people can sniff that out when, when you're not a genuine person. People just know.
0: Consciously they know, and people don't yeah. know that they unconsciously know. Does that make yeah. sense? People don't they know ju- that they they, un- they just they just they get just that feel feeling, it. and
1: this is what you hear, right? You hear, "I'm gonna get other estimates. I'll call you." Yep. Yep. <laughs> that's what that that's what that subconscious does. That's what, if you're hearing that a lot, chances are they're, you're not connecting in a genuine way.
0: Yeah, and look, here's the way you can overcome that if you're that scumbag is. Hey did I do something? Did, is there I thought we had a good rapport is, did, was there something I did? Is there something that made you decide to get another estimate? And I'll tell you right now that'll make them overcome that creepy feeling because you just yeah
1: yeah you're falling on the sword. You're taking accountability yeah. yourself, right? It's not about someone else. It's about what you did. How could I have provided better service? That's a perfect example of pure of service. You know yeah, but,
0: but first, just be a good dude. And you don't have to worry about being sneaky about the answer. That's right. right? <laughs>
1: there you go. <laughs>
0: just do things for your motive, and you don't have to worry about it. That's it. So the third training. Tell us about that. Which is the third training oh, that man. you do.
1: That's the one that I actually start tomorrow uh, with uh, CSR and Dispatch. It's called CSR and Dispatch Bootcamp. That's a digital experience for CSR and Dispatch teams to come together or do it individually from home, from the office, from anywhere they want to. We go through four days of training, right? Day one, we talk about pure motive service. Again, the same kind of idea with Total Immersion because pure motive started, like it starts from leadership and office staff. And... Ultimately technician, right? So we talk about pure motive service and the values behind it. On day two, we focus on CSR priorities and CSR scripts and we get to work, right? Day three, we focus on dispatch and dispatch priorities and the way a call-by-call dispatch system works. What are the rules and how do you have those conversations? So we go through all of that. Cool thing about this is that there's four days, right? Fourth day is graduation, because this is a profit X class. So what we call profit X is that part of the certification process means that you can apply in real life what you learn. So what we do is on day three, while we work with dispatch, CSR will go and actually take some calls live, have them recorded, and we'll go over them in class live and see what we could have done better. And then day four is graduation, where we simulate a call and go through that. And then day four, dispatch does the same thing, right? They go and they have these conversations and these situations with dispatch, and we check behind them to make sure they can apply it. So really cool class. I love that class. Same idea, pure motive service, but how does it translate to office? Right? How do, how does the office staff provide pure motive service to the external clients and the internal clients as well, which is our technicians?
0: hundred percent, dude. Look, I, I talk about this all the time. CSRs. I love working with CSRs. I love training CSRs. I love training into inside salespeople. And it is mind boggling to me how many business owners don't. View that person as one of the most valuable people, if not the most valuable person in that company, because without that person and a smile on their face and them enjoying that conversation with the customer. Yeah. I have a hard time getting that customer to book a call.
1: <laughs> filling up that board. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I agree with you. And uh, I think you nailed it there. I think sometimes we overlook the importance of those two positions. Because one thing that I am very adamant about in this class that Uncle Joe taught me that blew my mind and it changed the performance of the team is that you cannot have a CSR and a dispatcher like in one. No. you. That's it, It's impossible. Dispatch mm-hmm. works with an internal team. CSR works with the external team, and you have so many business owners that have multiple people that do both positions, and it just doesn't work. You don't get the traction or the accountability, and you also don't get the focus on the customer service. Because To serve the internal team, CSR serves the external customer. And so that's one of the things that, yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right. Like most people don't realize that these positions can make upwards of $100,000 just sitting in the office, right? And then just following up, create their own profit centers right? By by, maybe, and I'm sure this is something that you're super familiar with, but implementing a process where, you know, you, you attend to those $0 calls and just check and see what happened, right? And uh, that's a whole profit center of its own there.
0: Dude, such a profit center. But most companies don't realize that because I think either one, they just check it off the list as it's just a dead lead if the the technician didn't close the estimate. But most of the time, Mm Most of the time, they don't even look to see why the estimate didn't close. There's lots of time, right. they don't even check to see what happened. They don't, this thing, dude, you spent a lot of money on that lead. And they're all just, dude, look, I'm, it was, talk, see, look, talking to my, I got a new client that has $7 million in open estimates. Dude, I don't know about you. No. That's, that That's a lot of money in my world. million in open estimates, that's a lot of money. That's what I was
1: going to say. I think about this, even if you close a small percentage of that, where it would be, right?
0: Dude, yeah. Talk about 1% of that. What is that, $70,000? No, $700,000, I believe.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know what? The crazy part is that's not even close to the percentage of what people close if you actually do follow-ups, right? If you oh. actually do a happy call afterwards, if you're talking thirty to thirty-seven percent of additional revenue that's just kind of left behind because we don't know how, what that process looks like.
0: Yeah, yeah, dude, a hundred percent. Look, they clicked on your lead for a reason. They clicked on your ad for a reason. They called your company for a reason. They didn't. And look, maybe that reason was to find out a price, and maybe you're not their guy, but you need to find that out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You have to bring the call to a conclusion.
0: Yeah. Because how many companies just don't show up a lot, right? Yeah. A lot of companies yeah. are late. They don't show up. Oh, we'll get there tomorrow. You never know if you've called that customer and they say, well, we're going with somebody else. So we chose this person. Or maybe they don't answer your call. The point is, it's like even the person they chose, they may not show up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Okay. I think follow either way, uh, yeah, either way, you, you have to make sure that those calls are brought to a conclusion one way or another. Whether it's the technician bringing it out, bringing it to a conclusion out in the field, or one of your office staff, you know what? And even when they do bring the call to a conclusion out in the field, there's always an option and there's always a reason to follow up and do a happy call to just verify the quality of the service they received and to make sure that we're not leaving any opportunity behind for an upgrade or for a different kind of
0: systems. It's just the right thing to do.
1: One hundred percent, I agree.
0: By the customer. It's the right thing to do. It's good, and service. If you're the...
1: it's good service to to not leave an opportunity behind. It's bad service to put the burden on the customer to call you back or to let you know or to reschedule you.
0: It's also a terrible business strategy to depend yeah. on the customer to call you back.
1: <laughs> 100%. You got it.
0: <laughs> Listen, my man, I know we've gone a little bit over. I really do. This has been such a great call. I am so grateful for you coming on and sharing your story. Can you tell everybody, Danny, where they can find any information that you would like to share and put it in some of the show notes, go for it.
1: Yeah, for sure. So there is, so you can definitely find me on any social media platform for, so Facebook and uh, Instagram, whatever else. But just if your you want to find out some, yeah, just Danny Zatarain, but uh, you can go to servicemvp.com for additional information. You can reach us there. You can go to totalimmersionsales.com. That's where all of the different, uh, all of the what do you call the classes will be, Yeah. you can find all of the classes on the, uh, on the service MVP website or the total immersion sales website, where you can just call our offices. I will, I will make sure that you have my phone number, but you guys can reach me at uh, area code 516-974-8447. And that uh, you can shoot me a text or shoot me a call and I'll be able to help you and uh, point you in the right direction, get you to one of my team members that uh, can help you. The office number is 877-764-6304 where you can reach any other service MVP member. Yeah, I hope to see uh, see you maybe at one of my classes and maybe have uh, some of our listeners uh, come and check that out. And uh, I would love to meet you guys.
0: All right, my man. I appreciate you, Danny.
1: I appreciate you, Corey. Thanks so much for your time, man.
0: My pleasure, brother. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the Successful Life Podcast. We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember, greatness is a journey, not a destination.